Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. If it's your first time here, please remember to follow us wherever you happen to be listening, as well as check us out on social media at DC Local Leaders. Our website, dclocalleaders.com, will be live shortly. There you'll find all the mindset-making moments that we talk about on the show from our business leaders, from our military leaders, from our government leaders, and everyone else that we interact with. It's not specifically only about business. If you're looking for that motivation or how to get off start to do something that you have been procrastinating or that you have written down in your goal journal that you want to achieve, we're hoping that that website becomes your catalyst. We want to be your resource for getting the information you need to achieve whatever it is that you happen to set out in front of you. So please be on the lookout for that. We really, really appreciate all of the support of everyone that has helped bring that together and has been helping this show come together. With that, we're going to be onboarding a couple new sponsors and excited to tell you more about them. If you'd like to sponsor or support the show in any way, please reach out to us. We really appreciate all of your help. Today's episode is with James Skank. He's the CEO of PenFed, that's Pentagon Federal Credit Union. But he's not just that. He's also a pilot, former military. He's a father. He talks about the lessons he learned from both his mother and his father. He runs marathons. He sets out hard goals every year and then reverse engineers an action plan on how to achieve them. And that's just something that's been instilled in him from his time in the military and everyone that he's met along the way. He talks about his the joy he finds in just meeting people in a Waffle House and sitting down and talking to them. So definitely a leader you want to get to know. And DC Local Leaders is proud to partner with NVTC, that's Northern Virginia Technology Council, to bring you Let's Talk Tech with NVTC. Comes out monthly, and it's a video series that you can find both on nvtc.org as well as our YouTube page featuring next-gen leaders of technology in our own area. We've also just recently moderated their annual board meeting. So if you'd like to learn more about the council, who's been elected to their board, who's been re-elected to their board, you can check that out at nvtc.org. NVTC.org. A lot of information there about where that council is going. So if you're in the tech industry or you want to be in the tech industry, definitely check that out. And as always, we like to mention Notecast. Notecast is a podcast listening app that allows you, the listener, to take notes directly from the app. All you have to do is simply tap the screen where it says transcribe, and it will do just that. It transcribes a note, both text and audio, so you never have to write anything down. You also don't lose it. It's stored right on the app, so you can access it online and through your phone. Check out Notecast. The founders of Notecast have been a huge supporter of the show. Endless amounts of conversation went into this launching of this podcast, and we learned from their experience. And the best way we can repay it is to make sure everyone knows about Notecast. So let's get into the episode. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's roll go with for it, it, Phil. Let's yeah, go for let's it. Go. We're at PenFed's headquarters. PenFed's headquarters with CEO James Skank. 
Great to be here with you, Philip. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, I'm glad to I'm glad to be here too. Had a great lunch with you a couple of weeks ago, and I'm happy that you were uh, you were open to doing this. You burned me on my grilled cheese, but that's okay. Hey, you like you might have learned. I believe in uh, risk uh, mitigation versus risk avoidance. We've been coming to work every day since last March. I've been yeah. traveling the country, so I might be an outlier for your uh, your listeners today. But you're gonna have one data point from this Jersey guy who uh, got some of my leadership skills from the military. But mission first, and we got to take care of our two million members. So we're yeah. here every day. Absolutely, that was one of the things that drew me to you the most when we first had the first interaction we had was at a, a virtual call. And you were talking about the things you were doing and I can just see the energy that came out of you. And I just wanted to, to soak that up. That I'm a we, non-virtual guy, as you might have learned. Yeah. Yeah. Way better in person. And I'm glad we're able to do this. Um, mission first people always. Absolutely. CEO of PenFed. What does that mean? What, what are you doing all day? I have the best job in the world. Looks like it. I you're always have, traveling. I only have to do one thing. What's I go that? across the country and I find the best and the brightest. Yeah. I only hire people that can work at 10 other places. If they can't work 10 other places, why do I want them working for me? I want there people smarter, faster, more energetic, people that can take our business to the next level. So my whole job is finding those with amazing performance egos, but that bring a huge team ego to the table that can really drive us forward. Yeah. Yeah. So you travel a lot. Um, how do you find yourself, you know, at the helm here at PenFed? Just taking care of people. I have a philosophy. I think it came from my military leadership. Uh, soldiers know when you care about them. Private sector is the same thing. Employees know when you care about them. I think the greatest honor I ever received was when I was interviewing with the board for the CEO position in 2014. And the custodian came out of the men's room, put his hand on my shoulder and he says, Mr. Skank, you probably don't mean very well, but I listen in every office. The smart money's on you. Nice. And I looked at him. I said, why do you say that? He says, because you're kind to people. And I try to create a culture here of 3,000 employees where we, we live on kindness and respect, collaboration, service, innovation, and integrity. And when I tell everybody, you know, life is too short to have jerks around us. I'm going to use a Jersey term a little bit more severe, but uh, we, want, we want people that care about what they're doing. They bring their passion and purpose to the table. We let them run. And I'm a five foot six CEO. I have folks taller than me, shorter than me, heavier than me, skinnier than me, darker than me from all around the world. I surround myself with talent. Uh, I don't care what their sexual orientation is. I don't care what their gender is. I want people that care about helping our members do better financially. And that's what I surround myself with. Yeah. And I can hear that passion just coming through your voice. And that, you know, I think that shows with the culture here at PenFed. Everyone that I see talking about PenFed or that's a part of the team, um, they have that sort of mission first, uh, mission first, people always mentality. And I can see it in everything you do with our veterans. I mean, you yourself are a vet. What, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. You were in the Air Force. Air Force. I love the Air Force, but I was in the Army. I was a Black Hawk pilot. I thought you told me you were in the Air Force. No, I love the Air Force. I got a lot of Air Force officers and enlisted working for me, but uh, all right. We're no, going. it was all good. Um, every service. I support all the services and Department of Homeland Security. Um, started flying when I was 15, so maybe that's where maybe it came that's from. Why, I yeah. uh, always loved flying. I ended up going to West Point, became a Black Hawk uh, aviator, a helicopter pilot, flew in Korea, special operations. I was very fortunate to be able to go back to graduate school on the Army and taught economics and finance at West Point. So when I was in the Pentagon, I was fortunate to get on the uh, Pentagon Federal Credit Union Board of Directors. And then when I left the service, I was tapped by the board to consider taking a leadership position here. And I've been here 20 years now and loved every minute of it and been CEO for seven. Yeah. So, you know, throughout that process, though, did you 
Did you want to be a leader or was that something that being in the military sort of instilled in you and then you developed this thought process? I love every day of everything I do. So I always try to encourage people. It's not about being the general officer or the CEO. I love when I was a lieutenant. I love when I was a major. I love when I was the SVP at PenFed running marketing. If you call a little bit of mindfulness, if you love what you're doing in a moment and you do it well, good things, good doors open up. You got to build the base for the future, but if you just care about the end state, you're going to miss 20, 30 amazing years of living. So I enjoy every day. I literally yell down my hallways here. I love it here. (laughs) And my whole goal is not about leading. I try to inspire. Mm. What I want to do is have people proud that giving back to their community. And that's what's so great about our employees. They love, not only do we put philanthropic dollars into the community, we put our blood, sweat, and tears in helping organizations do better within the communities in which we serve. And that's what our employees, like I talk about work-life balance. We believe it here. I yeah. want people to reach not only their professional goals, I want them to be, um, have the, the, the lifestyle to create their personal goals, whether it's going back to graduate school, whether it's raising a families, having weekends off, having nights off. We want that work-life balance. So- they, they're passionate about when they're at work, but at the same time, they're running marathons, they're traveling, they're biking, they're cooking, baking, dancing, whatever they love to do outside of work. Mm-hmm. And that creates an amazing ecosystem of uh, leaders within the organization. Yeah. You know, one thing I always ask all of the leaders here is the difference between belonging and fitting in. Um, and it sounds like you just gave us a great, great answer for that without me even having to ask you that people both feel like they belong here. And they fit in. They feel welcomed. I feel very proud. I create a welcoming culture. Everybody's appreciated. Think about a financial firm. We're a city within a city. Yeah. We could have a person managing the facilities. We could have a person doing marketing. We could have a person writing code, somebody defending on the cyber side, somebody doing consumer lending, mortgage lending, finance. There is a huge um, set of job classifications within a financial firm. So I really do think it's a city within a city and sort of um, think about me as a city manager. My job is to make the city work for everybody. Yeah. I want them to all have upward mobility. I want them to have a safe place to work. I want to have a great work-life balance. And this year for the last uh, literally 12 months, I have about 90% of my employees working remotely. They're welcome to come to the office. We do have a core set of us that come every day, but I'm not requiring it to. I have three principles since uh, March of last year. One is Health and safety of our employees, that was paramount. We're going to do whatever it takes to protect our workforce. Second, we're going to accomplish the mission. We're not going to come off any of our growth goals, our lending goals, our deposit goals. We're going to accomplish the mission. You know, the luxury of saying, ah, it's bad external environment. We can't hit the goal. No, that doesn't exist here. So we're going to take care of our employees. We're going to accomplish the mission. And everything we do, we're always building the better. Whether you're touching a piece of paper, a copying machine, or a new technological system, Anything you can touch, we want you to leave it better than you found it at every level of the organization. That's how we sort of lead here. Yeah. I mean, that's, and it shows. It I'm shows. excited just talking yeah. to you. See? I mean, yeah, it just, it shows right now. I'm proud of our employees. I got yeah. 3,000 employees and I got about a thousand contractors. I also believe if we think we have all the answers inside our four walls, we are going to fail miserably. I work with partners all the time. I encourage my senior leaders always to be listening. If we're not learning every day, if I'm not learning every day as a CEO, I'm going to fail miserably. One of my favorite learning stories was uh, David Rubenstein does this uh, economic club here in Washington. I've been a member of it. If you're not a member of the economic club, I encourage it. Great speakers, great forum. But he was interviewing Jeff Bezos and why Amazon went to Seattle. And again, I'm always learning. So Jeff's like, oh, I needed 20 really great engineers and Microsoft has 7,000. So I moved right next door and I hired Mm. the best 20. 
Well, the next week I bought $150 million uh, headquarters down in San Antonio, Texas, 13 colleges and universities, some great financial firms. I hired 535 people in the last 24 months, taking our mortgage business from a billion dollars a year lending to 8.6 billion last year in mm. one year, having the right people, the right center all became, uh, I was learning from Jeff Bezos. So right. Always learning. Listening up. Yeah. I mean, you, you just mentioned something that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize just how much you look at PenFed Federal Credit Union, you can say, oh, it's a bank. It's way more than just a bank. It's no, doing we're a far cry from bank. Phil, do you know the difference yeah. between a bank and a credit union? If I'm a bank CEO, in mm -hmm. all honesty, I'm hired by my shareholders to get the highest shareholder return. So how do I do that as a bank CEO? I need to pay the least possible on my deposits and I need to charge the most on my loans. I want the greatest spread margin because my boss is the shareholders who represent the largest funds, the largest investors, the money is returned to them. As a credit union CEO, I have the best job in the world. I'm owned by my members. We're a cooperative. Mm. So my job is to charge the least amount possible on my loans, to pay top dollar on deposits, to run at the absolute least spread margin as possible. That's why we're really an online firm. 95% of PenFed's business is done remotely because my job is to put the most money into my members' pockets. I don't have any shareholders. My owner is the member who is my shareholder. So I want to pay them the highest deposits and the lowest loans. That's why I exist. That's why credit unions exist. Yeah. And those are our military people. In our case, it's um, about 30% are core military. So we've been a defense credit union since 1935, but we're one of the three credit unions in America that has an open field of memberships. You should call me up because we would love to take care of you because you're our owner. We want there to you pay go. you the most. You're still flying. I love to fly. Yeah. From Since your... I was 15 years old. So many moons ago. Yeah. Uh, what are you flying now? I fly a little Cirrus. It's called a Cirrus SR-22. Great mm. performing single engine piston aircraft, about 310 horsepower. It'll cruise at about 212 miles per hour. Gets up to about 20,000 feet. And uh, it's phenomenal. About three hours to Florida. It's about an hour and a half to Kiowa Island. And it's an hour to the Greenbrier. So it turns a seven-hour weekend commute to the Greenbrier in West Virginia to a one-hour each-way fun ride. So yeah. enjoy flying. I try to fly very professionally. You got to be safe. Uh, but I've been, like I said, flying my whole life. And I stay very current. I'm an instrument-rated pilot. And I love to take people places. Again, yeah. from point A to point B. My nickname is Motion. <laughs> love to stay in Motion. motion. You take your family and everything with you? I mean, uh, you usually just me. And unfortunately, just you know, because I'm traveling a lot for work. Uh, my son is uh, 23 years old, investment banker. So yeah. he's literally working 20 hours a day, uh, but loves that I get up to Tito Barrow once in a while. I fly in and visit him. You know, you have all this energy, right? And you have all this responsibility. But you've got to be doing something. You're in great shape. I know that we talked about working out and stuff like that before. Do you have like a set? Are you one of these guys, even from the military? I've talked to a lot of people from the military and they get very regimented and routine. And I'm kind of like that too. I'd never served, but you know, are you similar? Do you have something like that? Or what are you doing? I am in and out. So I, when I set a goal, so one year I ran four marathons and one triathlon, I go all in and then I'll take a few years off where I learn ribeyes and a, a good bourbon uh, is a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, but now I'm back on training for several half marathons and I got a, a goal for next year, which I don't want to share yet, but uh, let's just say I've done some international marathons. And I want to try to do several back to back uh, in 2022. So I'm excited about that. How so do you I'm training find, again? How do you find the time to train? Like, are you there? I always say one hour of a day is 4% of your day. There's always time. If you prioritize what you want to do, there's always time for it. And so I get up at 630 instead of say, you know, seven, get that extra 30 minute run in, whatever it takes. Uh, triathlons mm -hmm. were a little tougher when you got to bike, run and swim yeah. and do doubles a day. 
that's a little bit more time consuming, but running, get an hour running in at lunch. As you get longer distances, you might need two hours on Sunday, two and a half hours for those long, you know, 15, 20 mile runs. But uh, it's all about just prioritizing what's important to you. It's like I say in economics, scarce resources, unlimited wants, force you to make choices. And for every choice, there's an opportunity cost. If you go into training, you might forego watching an hour of TV, and I'm not a big TV fan. Or if you, it might be one less hour of flying that week and an extra hour of running. So you're trading off what you like to do, but there's always time for everybody, whether you cook, bake, dance, yeah. whatever you love to do. Where'd you learn that? Where'd you learn that thought process? My that, dad like, was a Marine and I was in yeah. fifth grade and I was watching some silly show called General Hospital <laughs> and with my sister. And he told my sister, and she was a little bit older than me, I think she was 17, if you want to watch a love story, go live it. And he asked me what I like to do. And I said, well, I like airplane school. You're going to start flying tomorrow. And he threw the TV out the window and that was it. And so yeah. I went four years at West Point, no TV, uh, several years flying night vision goggles in the military, no TV, back to graduate school, no TV. And then I taught at West Point with no TV. So I went literally 12 years without watching TV. And there's so much more in life if you listen to a podcast, read a book, or just go out and live a hobby that you like to do. So I'm a big believer in hiking, it. running, biking, just skiing, be in motion. Yeah. And uh, don't watch, so don't live somebody else's life on TV. Go live your life and be anything you want to be, but go out and sweat, you know, put your heart into it and have fun. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have one sister, two years older than me. She's a school teacher, the amazing patient. She teaches special ed. And maybe it's her patience and uh, my dad's influence, who was, as I said, a Marine, yeah. the first Marine division. Go out and live our lives and do what you like to do. Yeah. Yeah. So did she do any military experience? She also? did not. No, she did not. You, so like that's, so you were the only one. So your dad was, a, was his father uh, in the military? His father fought in World War II. My dad fought in Korea and I was fortunate. I didn't go to combat, but I was uh, always ready. Yeah. Always ready. Yeah. Always be ready. That's a slogan of another group, Siemens. I don't know if you know <laughs> Siemens. Know yeah. Siemens government technology. Well, our IT motto here is always yeah. on. So 99.9999. Yeah. We want to have service 24 seven around the world to support our membership, real time transactions. Yeah, absolutely. Always on at PenFed. Yeah. Well, so do you, so it sounds like you, you set out a goal every year that you want to do something. Do you purposely try to make them harder or always, always big, hairy, audacious goal? Yeah. The harder you push yourself, the more something's worth it. Yeah. What so, do you think that does to you psychologically as a leader, as a person, and just as an example to everybody else in your I don't know about an example, just in my own life. It makes me, I wish West Point, I wish I ran marathons and not West Point because I always good academically, but I didn't realize it's really a science. It takes 20 weeks to train up for a decent, you know, you know, speed marathon. It takes a little bit longer to do a really good triathlon. But if you set a goal, you put the resources, in this case, time and training into it, you can accomplish it. And that sort of really gave me is that confidence that you got to be willing to decide what you want to be in the fourth quarter, what you want to be in 2022, what I might, you know, right now as a senior leader, as I'm pushing my team, where are we five years from now? Buy, sell, and hold. What asset classes, car lending, mortgages, where do we want to dominate? And what do we want to do less of? What should we not be doing anymore? And we were always looking at those decisions. A lot of leaders, they want to put more on the plate. I'm always saying what comes off in the military term is we want to mass what we do where it matters and we want economy of force, do very little where it doesn't matter. So I have very little branches. I'd rather put my money into uh, IT systems, information technology to deliver real-time mobile anywhere in the world, secure mobile, cyberly defend it, you know, put the money in cyber defenses or in other operations to protect our uh, infrastructure versus building a lot of brick and mortar in this day and age. People, yeah. people kind of like doing things remotely. Yeah. But that thought process, though, you learned that from the military. I think so. That, that efficiency uh, thought. There's, um, you know, the principles of war, you know, simplicity, unity of command. Yeah. You know, surprise. I don't 
communicate to my competitors sometimes when I'm going to come into their market or right. uh, run a big advertising campaign. So a lot of those basic rules of war have, have served me well as, as a corporate leader as well. But yeah. the first rule is take care of your people. When I took care of soldiers as a young lieutenant, as a captain, as a major, that meant the world to me. Really understanding their families, understanding what drives them. I always say I didn't need my Harvard MBA, which helped, but I really need a PhD in psychology. And you learn that from the military. You learn the push-pulls, what motivates people. Some people need to be motivated every day. I have other executives that they only see me every six months. They're happy. They're, they're fully running and just give them the guidelines and let them execute. But understanding each one of those nuances and being able to give them the, the resources and the reinforcement they need. So it's really being a good listener. And I think that's the one thing I would like, say to anybody that's listening today as a leader, when I'm in my staff meetings, if I do most of the listening, I let my team do the talking, it's very successful. If I'm doing all the talking, they're going to think it's a miserable meeting and I'm not learning anything. Yeah. So, and then what about people that, um, you know, that aren't, aren't quite near your level, someone in their twenties or thirties, right? That, that look at you as an, ex they might look at you as an example or definitely a mentor and want to be where you are. What are some of the things you can start, you can tell them to start doing, let's say they're, they're technical in their skill set. Right. But to develop those leadership what skills. What I look at it. So as a CEO, don't worry about becoming the CEO. I have some young folks right out of college want to be the CEO tomorrow. That, oh, yeah. It's not the right mindset. I really think you think about development, you first come into a firm, technical skills matter. You're hired for your technical skills, whether it's a teller or being a PhD in mathematical modeling on our capital stress testing, right? You're hired for your technical skill. How well you work human, the human skills, cross division, coworker in the foxhole with each other, in the office with each other, that matters. And you're not going to get promoted if you don't have good human. You can be great technical skills. If you don't have good human skills, you can't communicate yeah. orally or writtenly, don't work well with coworkers, you're not moving up. And then to get the highest levels, it's really the conceptual skills. You know, my SVPs are running the day to day. My EVPs are running three to five years in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the higher up you go, we always rate all of our employees on the same three things, technical, human, and conceptual. But as you go up the corporate ladder, the conceptual is weighted heavily, more heavily than the technical. Well, how do you develop those skill sets? I mean, are there books to read? Are there coursework? You went to, you get a Harvard MBA, like what you suggest? Everybody like just, I mean, it's just taking experiences. I always loved when I came to PenFed at first as an SVP, I ran, I was a chief administrative officer. I ran the back office. I ran HR. I ran training. I ran items processing. I ran collections. And then I got credit cards and I ran more. Just keep volunteering to take on different experience. Mm -hmm. I'd love Young employees who are looking for more projects get exposed to different leaders. There's different techniques. Again, I'm only one data point. It's great when a leader gets to work with different ones of my EVPs. We do an internship program every summer, 30 to 40 college students, usually juniors, rising seniors. And I have them working directly for our EVPs. They get different data points. They get to take their college skills, put them to use. And then I try to make every one of them an offer in September. And I tell them to go shop it around. I want you to have 10 other offers, but I want you to come want to work for us because of our leadership, our mission, and our purpose. Yeah. Hope that helps a little bit. Again, yeah. Just one data point, but I'm really proud of PenFed, but I'm really proud of the people. Any organization is only as good as its people. And it's those who really understand what their mission is, say no to the stuff that doesn't matter. That's where most firms fail. Like a lot of small businesses, they try to be all things to all people. PenFed is really good at car lending. We're really good at mortgage lending. We're really good with our credit cards. We're good with deposits. We don't, we're, we don't do small business lending. It's not what we do. I mean, that's right. not who we are. And so stick to what you're good at. And I always look at a Cap One or MBNA. MBNA grew to $160 billion with one product. We're $27 billion. I don't need to be all things, all people. I need to be great at what we do decide to do. Yeah. Many hands make the load light. So in other words, having the right team 
the depth and breadth of resources. Don't overload people. Give them, let them run hard for their eight-hour days, but then give them time off. And what reading some of these Wall Street reports lately where they're just destroying some of these young kids, 20 hours a day, seven days a week, no life. You know, that's not, not, that's not how I want to lead here at PenFed. I want folks to have a good life outside of PenFed, but when they come to work, they're all in and they really care about their coworkers. Yeah. I mean, you also, you, you were talking about, so there's this concept of it's not a corporate ladder, it's a jungle gym, right? Take on many different responsibilities, Absolutely. work under many different leaders, get, absorb that sort of leadership skill set from other people, Absolutely. recognize that And they learn have. what you don't want to do. There's certain leaders I've worked for during my military career in my private sector, like, I never want to do that. Yeah. I had a real true story the other day. I heard this one example, another firm, um, um, a senior person was on the call. Uh, the, the junior person's child was crying and the senior person says, am I going to have to deal with that? And I was telling, you know, others that are around, I said, well, do I want to handle that? I would say, take time with your family. Yeah. Call me back in 15, 20 minutes. Always put your kids and family first. I think that would have created more long-term loyalty. I said, how do you think that person just felt that got chastised for having a baby cry? I mean, that's just the world we live in now when you're working from home and you have a child. That's the wrong leadership style. So I always try to highlight bad and good leadership styles mm-hmm. when I'm exposed to it. Take care of your employees and they'll always be there for you. And you build, we always at PenFed try to build up trust. It's different than satisfaction. So on any given day, you might be unsatisfied with me. But if you trust me, you're willing to give me the benefit of the doubt. Does that make sense in the yeah. future? Mm-hmm. Uh, my former CEO used to say years ago, it's sort of like a, a relationship. You might have a bad day, a bad date, but if you trust you, you might go out again, right? Same thing with membership. You know, We probably take care of our members 99% of the time perfectly, but they might have a, a, a phone call where they have to wait an extra five minutes. They're not satisfied that moment that they had to wait five minutes, but the other 40 years were so good they still trust you and they give you another chance. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, because that's the exception, not the rule. That's exact, not how you treat them. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. I mean, learning what not to do is just as valuable as learning what to do in both in leadership. I mean, there was so much there in that little- I tell all my leaders, being able to say no, yeah. not trying to be all things to all people will allow you to be most successful because then you're really razor focused on what matters. And even in all firms, I mean- even in your exercise program, 80% of your gains are going to come from where you focus. Yeah. You try to do everything, you're going to get no gains. Yeah. I mean, you know, working out, I can, I've, I've been through that a lot. I mean, I, I can be a psycho sometimes. I'm doing hot yoga and CrossFit, and then I'm trying to run these 40 races before age 40. And it's like, well, I got to start cycling because, you know, my knees. And then I'm like, well, cavemen had knees. They weren't, they didn't make excuses with the with the bikes or whatever. And it's like, well, you're not a caveman. You live in the suburbs. And, <laughs> and it's like doing all of these things all at one time. I'm not really making a lot of progress in anything. Right. And that's just working out. I, I, I end up coming back to but working out Then you bring it down. It's like yeah. an eating fueling plan or a training plan. If you stay specificity, you're going to get the yeah. gains. Narrow focus, even yeah. in business. Right. And you right. mentioned that too. And I think any leader of a company uh, who may be, you know, in some sort of point of challenge hearing you speak is definitely going to appreciate that if they're trying to be too many. Again, I'm just one people. data point, but, um, but still. I'm proud of my team. I'm very fortunate to have world-class professionals like that. My only claim to fame I look somebody in the eye when they're not performing and tell them that. And sometimes tap them on the shoulder and say, this ain't the right place for you and not the right fit. And others, I mean, I go out across the country trying to find the best and brightest. And those who are performing, I look them in the eye. So a lot of leaders now, I convince all my senior leaders, do not communicate via email. Look people in the eye. They want to be told when they're performing well, when they're not performing well. Everybody wants to do well. Communicate, communicate, communicate. And don't be afraid to tell somebody, you really let us down on this project or you really missed a boat on this direction you're going. Here's what we need to do to get it back in the box. When my old goal is, let's just never make the same mistake twice. Yeah. And you know what you're not doing? What I can hear you not doing is you're not communicating with shame. 
right? You're not taking ego and you're and communicating with shame. Like, don't you know who I am? I'm, I'm James. And you should be like, tell that kid to shut up. Like, never. you know, it's, it's never, or like, you should feel horrible about this because you made this mistake. It's like, this isn't what we were looking for. This is what we were looking for. Always end positive and yeah. explain you know, why or where does this be a misalignment? People mm-hmm. want to do well. Nobody wants to be broken down. I've had mm-hmm. that in the military as a young cadet when they try to break you down and haze you for that first year. That's, that's, that's not where you build leaders. You build leaders and you build trust by good role model, good examples, giving people the time they need. When somebody's having stress in their life, you know, back off a little bit. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. They need a little quality time. They're going through a divorce. They've lost a loved one. They, you know, somebody died. Mm-hmm. We had one woman once put her, had to put her horse down. Give them the time off. Give that empathy when they need it. You know, back off for a few months. Let them have that space. And then when they recover, they give you 110% 10 times over. I see so many leaders try to force people. I need you tomorrow. I can't. Literally, this is a true story. I got a call from a woman in Eugene, Oregon. Her boss wouldn't let her off. Her manager, she was on the phones and her horse was getting put down. To that woman, she had five horses. That horse was like the most important person in her life. And truly call the CEO and say, can you help? I said, absolutely. Take, that go. was an employee of PenFed. Yeah. I said, go take care of that horse. And that's, that's your loved one. And they I'll have that take kind care of your manager. I communicate with my employees every Friday, do a CEO message and they have an issue. They come directly to me. They don't go around their chain of command, but something like that where it was timely and they had, you know, t- you know, 20, 30 minutes to be mm-hmm. at this situation, of course. And then and I think I try to re-educate my other employees and all the managers is when somebody has a situation like that, you take care of them. That's our culture. And yeah. they'll be 10 times better employed by giving them that time off and saying, oh no, we need you to be, to hit our phone stats that day. We need you on the phone. So that's unacceptable. Yeah. Now you, did you learn that from... Was that an example of learning what not to do or like one, one thing that stuck I out to you? I just picked it up just by exposing myself, you know, during my times in different military units, different corporate uh, examples, sitting on different boards. I just learned, you know, you sort of pick up in reading books, you just pick up things that just makes, I mean, it's just like the right, think about the common yeah. sense. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of common sense. A horse is pretty important. If you put yeah. your dog down, I'm going to give that employee time off. We raised the seven service dogs here. They make a difference in people's lives. If that's if they don't have any kids and that's the dog or they have kids and that dog's important to them, give them that day. Give them the week off if they need it. Well, you talked about empathy. The other fifty-one week, they're going to kill it for you if you take care of them. Yeah, I mean, you talked about empathy. That's you know, that's exactly that's an example of living that value uh, of your culture and and what you. And my board of directors, I'll give a lot of credit to my board of directors. I have men and women. Credit unions have volunteer board of directors. These are men and women who do not get paid. They come every month to committee meetings into a monthly board meeting. So 12 times a year plus two committee meetings a month without pay because they care about the community they serve. And when you work for a board like that, that just care, they, they have the emotion and the love of the organization on their sleeve. How do you not take right. care of the employees under you each and every day? Yeah. Are you, you mentioned some books. I mean, what kind of stuff are you reading? What do you like to read? What, what helps you? Whether I don't know. It's, One of my favorite books as CEO was... Um, Ace Greenberg, uh, Memos from the Chairman. And so this was uh, when he ran Bear Stearns many moons ago. Every Friday, he would type up a memo to his employees, whether it's about paper clips, whatever was on his mind, working out. And I've been doing that for uh, seven years. And every Friday, my employees get a message from me on different topics. So they really know who I am as an individual. I get amazing feedback from 3,000. I solicit their feedback and comments on everyone, whether I'm talking about diversity, when I'm talking about a new marathon I want to run, about a flight I had, being in bad weather. I communicate about everything, business goals, how we're doing, how they're doing. And the more you communicate with your employees and they know who you are, I call it sort of the commander's intent. If they know where I'm trying to take the organization, 
they know where they fit in and can help you move in that direction. If you try to keep things to yourself and just assume people know throughout the mm -hmm. firm, you're going to fail miserably. So I'm oh, I always encourage at every level, over-communicate, over-communicate, over-communicate. So Ace Greenberg's uh, Memos from the Chairman, written many years ago, was a great role model for me. And Team of Teams by Stanley McChrystal. What it really taught me is information moves at the speed of light. When I send that email to 3,000 employees, they can share it with anybody. I mean, it can go anywhere. I, I went to um, the 50th anniversary of the Selma March about five years ago. I walked across the bridge. It was an amazing, powerful story to me. I shared that with my employees. One of the employees, um, his sister, worked for uh, Congressman uh, Lewis. He sent me the nicest note based on my thing. You just never know who's going to see it, but always communicate and be authentic. Communicate what's important to you, and they sort of get to know who you are and what drives you. And I'm very proud of that. Yeah. And then you don't have to second guess what you said or whether or not it was the right thing or the wrong thing. It can go yeah. anytime you like this video, doing this podcast can go anywhere, right? Yeah. So I'm just speaking from my heart. Don't have notes. I'm just telling you what I feel again, but I'm only one data point. What people should always do is triangulate, take different data points. So I might tell you where I think the 10 year treasury is going, what we think automobiles are going to do, yeah. what Bitcoin's going to be three months from now. But I always like to say the best economist is a historian. Yeah. So on uh, June 30th, I'll let you know what the Bitcoin price is. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So did you get into Bitcoin? <laughs> I did not. Um, no? I have not played Bitcoin. My yeah. son bought in a few years ago, I think four or 5,000 well, Bitcoin. But to see it go across 50,000 now or 52, I've read about this the day at lunch, uh, mind boggling to me. A lady on yesterday said it could be 10 million in five years. So uh, yeah. who knows? We got to get on it. I don't uh, know. That might be the next thing. We're just, just buy and sell money. Help members' dreams come true. Give them the highest deposit rates. Charge them yeah. the least on their loans. I'll stick to my knitting. Yeah. I'll let you buy the Bitcoins. Yeah. No, I'm going to stick to my knitting too. I don't, uh, you know, it seems attractive. It's just, I don't know anything about it. I don't know enough about it to even get involved. Another currency can come out tomorrow that's yeah. endorsed by the Fed and it can go to zero or it can be the future currency of the world. Who knows? Yeah. Um, well, so, I mean, you have mentors in your life right now? I mean. Always. Yeah. Every every level of employees I learn from, other CEOs. I learn from, I really love, um, I was joking around, I love waffle houses. I love flying into different little rural areas. I was down in uh, Jacksonville area. I went to this little waffle house in the morning, meeting real Americans. I'm always learning. Yeah. What's on your mind? Hey, I'm from Washington. What do you think? Oh, that's terrible. I just love, I hate living there. I mean, just I just love having real conversations at every level of the organization. I can be at a formal black tie dinner one minute and be literally in a t-shirt, jeans, having a cheeseburger and some diner in the middle of nowhere the next minute and be just as happy. It's yeah. amazing. I love to surround myself with people. If you haven't already guessed, I'm an extrovert, yeah. but I get energized off people around me and I love people sharing their ideas. There's no bad idea, right? It's, 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 it's respecting their viewpoints. At the end of the day, I'm going to make a certain decision on whether I buy a car, don't buy a car, buy a house now, don't buy a house. But I love getting everybody's opinion. Like I was down in Florida, everybody's buying a house. You, you, if house goes on the market, it's sold in 12 hours. I mean, yeah. it's amazing. Well, am I going to buy a house right now? Well, I'm not sure. I don't need one right now. I, I spent most of my time on the road. I don't need a house in Florida. But I'm always listening to others. Why'd you buy a house? Well, my neighbors bought a house and I've just doubled in price in the last four years down along the beach. And it's just, I, I love listening and learning, but at the end of the day, each individual has got to make their own choice where it fits into their life's goal, their business plan, their personal plan. Yeah. It sounds like every step of the way, you've just remained inquisitive. Uh, you've taken the ego out of it and you just continue uh, to learn. There's from no ego. My dad, the yeah. best advice I ever learned was from my dad who was an enlisted Marine. He looked at me when I was heading off to West Point at 17 years old. And he says, always just be comfortable who you are. There's always going to be somebody taller, somebody who's a better athlete, 
somebody who might be better looking, somebody who's richer. But there's also going to be somebody that has more health issues, somebody that's going to be poor. Always be a good ethical unit that helps lift people up, and you'll always sleep well at night. And that's served me well in my entire career. I don't, I mean, I just I was on this call this morning with a, a, a four-time Olympian, and he's transitioning into the private sector. I mean, I'm never going to be a four-time Olympian. I'm never going to be a Tom Brady at 10 Super Bowls. But if I can impact my 3,000 employees and give them livelihood, let them send their kids to college, pay them well. We just raised all of our pay, even in Puerto Rico, over $15 an hour for entry level. A lot of folks went from 13 an hour to 15 because a living wage is something I can control. I didn't need the federal government to tell me to do it. I can do it to make sure everybody's getting a fair paycheck at every level. And they're like, well, now you get to, you know, you're getting to pick the best and the brightest. Well, our retention went to almost uh, zero turnover because we're paying better than the market in Puerto Rico and some of our other community markets here. And so I'm very proud of that. So again, there's always going to be people making more, making less. Be comfortable who you are, but really roll your sleeves up with those left and right of you. And that's why I try to encourage my 23-year-old. When somebody needs some help, they're having a bad day, they get chewed out at work, be that role model for them. Hey, how can I help you? You know, what can yeah. I do to help you on that spreadsheet? Or is there something we can do to collaborate together? Lift people up and he'll sleep better at night as well. Yeah. It sounds like I was, you know. Simple advice. My dad was yeah. an enlisted Marine. He's a simple guy. Live life, don't watch TV and take care of others. I mean, yeah. that's very simple I mean, guidance. You're, yeah. You're a mentor to, to pretty much everybody you, you meet. Definitely. I mean, look, I, I've learned so much from you just in the couple of interactions. Yeah, too kind. No, I'm, it's okay, true. I'm learning from you and everybody else. It's I'm true. Just, uh, and it's love it, learning. one of those things about mentorship. Like you don't have to be in a constant personal relationship with right. the person to learn from them. Right. I mean, right. I can learn externally, um, but definitely being able to just be soak patience, all this up. Be patient too. I, I run across so many people, you know, dealing with 3000 employees or outside of work. I am part of other boards and, and companies I get involved with. Stress is a function of time. So if I tell you I need something by the end of today, that could be stressful depending on what I'm asking for. But I tell you, I need it by the end of the week. Mm -hmm. So I try to be very respectful of when I ask for something, putting a time constraint on it, giving them as much time as possible to get it to me so I'm not stressing them, right? So say I went ahead a goal. I wanted to run a half marathon on uh, June of last year and it got canceled. So I ended up running it in September. So I had to change my time horizon a little bit and it took the stress off. I wanted to get my uh, instrument uh, writing and my uh, uh, fixed wing aircraft. I was trying to get checked off in May, but COVID, they limited the flight instruction. So I didn't get my instrument rating till September. I changed the time. By changing time goal setting in your life, you can buy yourself less stress, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I always include with my managers, when you're assigning tasks, try to be respectful of an employee's time. I can create a lot of stress as a CEO by asking for something by tomorrow. I used to hate it in the Pentagon. I'd be getting ready to go home at seven, eight at night and I'd say, oh, we got this what if question. We need it by 6 a.m. tomorrow. And you're there all night. And it's like, well, they probably didn't even need that question. It was just to you know, jerk me around. But you stay there all night trying to do the what if, right? I make sure our leaders don't do that. If I need mm -hmm. something, if I really need something badly by tomorrow, it's got to be really bad. I mean, it's usually I need this by two days, four days, you know, a month from now. I got a planning conference coming up in June. Here's the charts I'm going to need. The more time you can give somebody to do something, you could actually reduce people's stress. And same thing in your own life. Well, Don't be so type A in which I got to run this marathon by April. Well, it's going to take me 20 weeks to train up. My next one probably is not going to be until August, right? Use time as a, a de-stressor by, yeah. being, by being patient. Well, I mean, it says a lot about you and your awareness as a leader or just as a person in general that you are accepting of the fact that it takes a certain amount of time to get things done. So you give yourself enough lead time in when you, you didn't wait until Thursday to say, I need this tomorrow by Friday. He asked right. on Monday. Right. So, and you knew you needed it 
you know, you got it. So many, it drives me crazy. I see certain organizations where people get jerked around for no reason because they failed to plan. If you have a leader failed to plan, the leader failed to plan. So the employees or the soldiers or whatever, airmen in these get, you know, you know, they get pulled two different directions. Give as much time as you can when you're assigning a task Yeah, and don't be so hard on yourselves. Too many people today they're so hard on themselves. They're so, they got to, you know, type, hey, type, they got to get somewhere so fast. Okay, it might take you a few years to go from manager to director. Direct. Don't think you got to be there in a year. You put extra stress on yourself. Think I got to move up the court. I got to do it every 12 months. If I'm not moving, I'm not moving fast enough. My CEO prior to me was going to stay 10 years and I was going to have the opportunity to compete for the CEO position. He decided to stay four extra years, so 40% longer, renewed for four years after he said he was leaving in 10. Okay, I could have left. I said, I'll be patient. Continue to learn ran some other divisions, and then four years later competed for the top position. So I was patient. I changed. I was stressful. I said, oh, God, got to wait four more years. But I just, I loved the organization. I loved the purpose, and it served, you know, it's okay being patient. Looking back, can you say that there were lessons you learned during that four years that you wouldn't have otherwise got had you been in? Absolutely. It was during the downturn, uh, 2008, 2009, I had the opportunity to run collections. If you lend money out, you want to collect it back in as a financial, you want to be right 99% of the time. And so I really, having that leadership role, running collections during a downturn was helpful and also helped me during COVID. So what we did is we slowed down our growth. We stopped our marketing because of the market. We saw the external environment. so we sat back, I call it, sat down. I learned to do just the opposite. So when we had COVID last year in 2020, I stepped on the gas, mm-hmm. increased marketing, hired a lot of the right people. And uh, we were able to grow uh, double digits last year. So you knew what to do based on the past experience. Having those would, four years of yeah. in the number two role, chief operating officer at the time, yeah. living through it. So being patient served me well and it gave me better leadership skills for that future opportunity. Yeah. Sometimes you're getting exactly what you need and we don't even know it. Uh, a good friend of mine, Allison Levine, uh, climbed Mount Everest. Um, she led the first female expedition up. It wrote the book On the Edge. And if you think about it, I never realized this before. When you climb Mount Everest, you go up to base camp and then you go to camp one and then you go back to base camp and then you go one, two, and then you go back to base camp. And so to go forward, you got to move backwards. Mm. And it really taught me about that time. In other words, you, it's always not a straight line to the top or a straight line to your goal, like investing. Sometimes yeah. there's ups and downs, dips. Be patient. Realize sometimes you move back a little bit. Even in training for a sport, you move back to build your base before you move forward even faster. Yeah. That's you, another good book I recommend, On the Edge, written about seven years ago, New York Times bestseller. Uh, Stanley McChrystal's Team of Teams. If you're in corporate America, read Team of Teams. All right. Team of Teams, On the Edge. You what was that it. first one? Uh, uh, memos from the chairman. Right. Good yeah. book. Um, yeah. So, you know, but what I wanted to ask you about this training, right. For, yeah. for, and like for, for you're like the third or fourth leader that has told me that they're doing a triathlon. There yeah. seems to be something there of the patience required and the consistency required to train for a triathlon that either does it, do you feel like it, it affects your, your mindset? I, I can hear it affects of, your mindset. So yeah. two things, when I fly, there's no other thing I'm thinking about when I'm in the air, except when I'm talking with the air traffic controllers. You are in the moment. Yeah. I'm looking at my instrument, my airspeed, my altitude, my my heading, my maps, my weather. I'm talking to people. I'm, so that hour or two hours I'm in the aircraft where I'm at the controls, There's I'm de-stressed because I'm not thinking about any work-related issue or anything outside of that cockpit. When you're training for a triathlon, it's like what the training schedule says you do. So when it says swim 1,500 miles at this pace today, I'm swimming 1,500 miles. It's this like, if it's on the spreadsheet, you're doing it. So I hired a gentleman named Mark Allen. He writes the online uh, triathlon training calendar. Whatever it says to do, 
you do. I have a ultra marathoner was my associate general counsel, ran a bunch of hundred mile races. When he wrote my marathon schedule, it says run three miles on Wednesday. I'm running three miles. I don't even think about it. I'm just running three miles on Wednesday. And it, it's that discipline to follow a schedule. You can't get there overnight. It takes 20 weeks. So the first weekend you're running, say, six miles on Sunday. And then you're building your base. And the next Sunday you're running seven miles. And the next Sunday you're running eight miles. Well, you can't miss. I can't take three weeks off and miss, you know, uh, 21 training days and stay on pace, right? Yeah. So you might deviate one day left or right, but you're back on schedule. And it really is a very relaxing way to train. So people say, oh, you're running, that's, that's got to be hard work. No, it's actually very relaxing. Yeah. And it's building your body along the way. I lost 25 pounds when I did it and I just felt great. And I get yeah. to travel and get fresh air and I ran down in some fun places. Monaco was my favorite one. Yeah. And that's a, the other concept that it doesn't have to hurt. We get no. ingrained with this no pain, no gain sort of mindset oh, that no. things that are worth it need to be a struggle and need to hurt and be painful in order to count oh, somehow. No. I don't know. Heck, where, maybe that's me. No, people crazy. think that they say, you know, steel makes us or pressure makes a stronger diamond. Heck no. As a leader, I want to make sure you have the resources. Yeah. I want to make sure you have the direction. And then I want to give you the decentralized control to go execute. Yeah. If I got to like be yelling at you, I mean, I, I, that's the old thing I'm very proud of. I think I went my whole life. Game. My dad was a Marine. He never had to yell. My dad gave me that look on the eye. I knew, okay, I'm not going to mess around. Give me some good advice. Don't ever lie to me. Don't ever do drugs. So that was the advice I got in high school. And I've lived with that my whole life. You know, you just be honest and don't do drugs. You're halfway there, right? Yeah. You're good at oral communications. You're, you're, you can pretty much get ahead in any corporation, right? So write well, be there on time, learn, and you can be successful. That's what's great about capitalism. I am, if you haven't, one thing I haven't talked about in this call, but I'm a capitalist, okay? Yeah. I believe in resources. We make different bets, right? Capital gets put to work in America. It hires labor. The American capitalism, the system works. And so I'm a big believer in education. People who, you know, whether you get a high school education, my dad dropped out of high school to go fight in the first Marine division, but he got back, got his GED, got with a good computer firm at the right time, but he was always learning. There's different ways to learn, not mm -hmm. only formal education, it's learning from others, leadership, reading books, watching, you know, certain YouTube videos. You can get anything. I mean, you can get all sorts of great tips out there today, but constantly learning, constantly moving forward and constantly bringing others around. You can't do it alone. Yeah. Nobody can do anything alone. Every successful organization has successful teams. And it doesn't have to stress you out the entire time in order to count. It could be right? fun. It yeah. It doesn't have to hurt. Just like the training, right? Like It could be fun. I'm sure. So let's talk. So in the training. Yeah. I'm sure there were times where you had to do like one mile, knowing that you can do more. Right. What kind of strength and mindset did you have to exert? Or do you think that built to be able to just do what's on the sheet? Because it's on the sheet, even though you think, well, I should be ahead at this time. It's an it. amazing, it's a discipline. That, that is the great lesson of managing resources. So I had more energy that first week to run more than it was literally, I think a mile, a mile and a mile and a half. And I'm ready to go. I'm like, I'm going to, mm -hmm. but I told myself in my mind, this guy's the expert. He's running hundred mile races. What he wrote, he knows what he's doing. It learned me to trust, in the case, certain authority, certain knowledge, certain professionalism. He was successful. So I was following a successful model. So it's like a little bit of restraint, you know, don't waste extra money where you don't have to, don't waste extra energy, put in what it's going to take to build a foundation. And again, go slow to go fast. Mm. So in the beginning too, you're keeping your heart rate under 130. You want to, you know, keep it very low. You want to sustain because it's an endurance race, right? So you're trying to teach your body to process oxygen very efficiently. So you're not doing a lot of bodybuilding, weightlifting yeah. when you're doing running because you really want it to be a really lean mass in order to run fast. And so it's all those things, but yeah. it's really, it's like what I love about training 
is, is bringing the resources together, right? You need good nutrition. You need a good training plan. You, you, you usually find others you run with. I ran with a running club. So you're getting out there Sunday morning doing the long runs with other like-minded individuals that are training as well. Mm-hmm. And then when you're at the actual event, to see the pride, people run, you know, 2.30, two hours and 30 minute marathons. I was a 3.51 was my marathon time, which isn't bad, about 8.30, 8.45. And then you have folks who are running six or eight hours. But everyone is, you're competing against yourself, not against each other. That makes sense. You're competing yeah. against your own age group, your own and so my goal, I think my first Marine Corps marathon was four hours. And then I did Monaco. I might've been 407. It was all uphill. And then I did um, Phoenix. I think I did the 351. Then I did Austin. So you're always trying to improve your time a little bit versus where, and again, there's always going to be somebody a lot faster, right. and always somebody a lot slower. And those, those, those be who you are, but the training was very relaxing and it, it, it didn't hurt at all, believe it or not. It actually got me in better shape and made me a better person mentally, I think, as far as being able to accomplish goals by being patient. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that shows up in your leadership because you're playing the long game with that marathon, right? With that training, because you're not doing it for that one day's workout. You're not trying to win that one day's workout. You got it. And that's you what know? businesses with relationships, yeah. all of our business partners, these are long-term relationships. It's not about winning one contract negotiation. It's how do we find a win-win where you're doing well as our partner and we're doing well and it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. So if I can, you know, renegotiate with Oracle or Salesforce and, and, and chip out a little bit we try to find what's fair for both that we both can live with as a long-term good relationship. Yeah. This, you mentioned a term uh, there that I heard from Jocko Willick in his book, um, uh, uh, God, extreme ownership, extreme ownership is the name of his book. I don't know if you read it, Jocko Willick. Um, and he talks about decentralized command and how important that is Absolutely. and what that does. I'm assuming you learned that in the military too. And, and every pre- unit is a decentralized. You have the, you know, the order might come down from the national command authority, the white house or the secretary mm-hmm. of defense at the end of the day is that Lieutenant or that Sergeant in a platoon somewhere that's going to carry out the end state of that mission. Very decentralized. We see it in corporate real estate. So we have a Berkshire Hathaway home services, PenFed Realty. We have 2000 right. real estate agents. Every community is different. We've done 23 mergers at PenFit. Every one of my merger partners comes from a different community. That culture, their leaders, they're going to know San Diego better than I'll ever know San Diego. They'll know Long Island better than any. So I give them sort of the guidelines, but they're running their individual market because they know the nuances. Florida's different than Long Island, different than San Diego. Each one of those leaders, certain path dependency, and what special sauce do they need to be relevant to the members within their community? And yeah. which organization? So every organization, like in Omaha, Eugene, this last week in San Antonio, we gave money to the food bank, a children's shelter, a vet strong organization, but it's different than United Way and some of the other organizations we give to in Eugene, Oregon. But we let the employees decide based on their community what's important to their employees. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, trusting the process and trusting the expert or the, you have trust in them and they then have trust in you, right? It's not, it sounds like it's no different from Absolutely. you trusting your coach who gave you that plan, right? You, you got it. That's exactly You ran right. the one mile because that's what he Provide said. Provide the guardrails, stay out of their way and let them run. And what I realize is leaders, branch managers, center managers, they want to do what's right for the member and they want to take perfect care of the employees. Give them the resources, give them the guidance, the high level guidance where you're trying to go, sort of I call it the commander's intent, the CEO's intent, and then let them execute. And they're proud of it. And then we share, we do force multiplier awards. We do impact awards. I have this thing called the no speed limit award where I give impact bonuses for people run that are going above and beyond. We highlight them at our board meetings. Um, recognition matters. Sometimes recognition is more important than monetary awards. When you literally, honestly take the time 
to say thank you for somebody that goes above and beyond, somebody's just doing their job very well, word gets around that you care about them and they care yeah. about you. Yeah. And they clearly understood what the overall mission was. They weren't so far removed from you or whoever is giving the, you know, it's not like five people in a room, they get the mission. We and were so proud people. the other day. So we had a big snowstorm, believe it or not, in San Antonio, Texas. It went sub-zero, oh, five days right. of snow, uh, power went out. And so we gave a few hundred dollars stipend for all of our employees below a certain income level to refill their refrigerators. And I got this one letter from a brand new member service rep, been with us five weeks, been in banking for 20 years. She said, I work for five banks and I work for PenFed. You've done more for me with this storm in five weeks, being in a five-week employee than I've gotten in 20 years from others. Mm -hmm. that really cared about me. And it was just a few hundred dollars, but it was just that thought that their food was spoiled, that PenFed was standing behind them. The other employees and our other... We're proud of that. We did the same thing in the hurricanes in Puerto Rico by getting them generators and flying in generators to get their house power up. When you go that extra distance, we have very little turnover in Puerto Rico because I think we stood by them during the last big hurricane when other firms were not there for their employees and we were. Yeah. It makes a difference. Employees know when their leaders care about them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it trickles down. Um, and that didn't come. It doesn't sound like it came from someone... Well, that's what I meant. It, you didn't just have that conversation with a few people and expect them to go out and translate the same thing. It was, you know, across the board. Everybody it's was transparent. You build that culture yeah. and transparency. Communication. I think one thing as a leader, people underestimate the importance of over-communicating. Because you might have a conversation on the 11th floor, third floor. You think everybody knows what you just thought. No. You yeah. got to put the word out. And you got to do it seven times, not just once. You got to reinforce the cultural values over and over. Not just through words, but through actions. Yeah. Reinforcing, rewarding those who are reinforcing the corporate standards and asking those to leave who aren't. Those who you know go outside those boundaries. Yeah. Decentralized command. You got it. Yeah. Was your dad upset that you went into the Army and not the Marines? No, I don't think so. My dad always believed I should be anything I wanted to be. He wasn't, he didn't want me to live through him. But you know, the thing between but the no, Marines. Like exactly. The, you know, I, I, as, as, I know it's, it's the same all services. He was proud that I was serving my nation. Uh, but even if I didn't go into the military, if I was an honest person who did an honest day's work and helped others, he would have been just as proud of me. He wanted me to be me. Mm. He always says, I can't live your life for you. Just be an honest person. In other words, be a good person. Do anything you want to do. And I see a lot of parents. I, I had this one guy once on the football field in McLean, and he was a linebacker in high school, and his son was going to be a linebacker yeah. in high school. I said, well, maybe your son knows. And he looked at me like, no, he's going to be a linebacker in high school. I said, well, have you asked him? And it was like, no, it's not even a choice. He's going to be a linebacker in high school. And I'm thinking, wow, I felt bad for that young man. He yeah. was like eight. I think the, the boys were eight, eight or nine at the time. He yeah. knew what his son was going to be. But I'm like, is that what your son wants to be? But again, I'm just one data point. Everybody, I just want my employees to not watch life on TV, to have that work-life balance, to be good ethical units, but most importantly, to put the members' financial concerns first and foremost. If they have a good life and they have good balance and like keep their stress levels low, they can focus all their positive energy on helping our members do better. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Those messages we get when we're young. Um, there's a lot of people that write about this. I read a lot of it that the way we speak to our children become their inner, internal voice. And Absolutely. if I think back, you know, my internal voice sounds a lot like, you know, my parent, my mother, good and bad, right? Some my mom always good. said, if you don't know, look it up. Yeah. And my dad always said, from the neck down, you're worth minimum wage. So focusing <laughs> on the brain. Because as you get older, you don't, I, I, I cut a lot. Of, I cut 10 yards in high school. I umpired. I have seven jobs in high school. Yeah. All simultaneously. And, uh, 
he always says, as you get older, you're not want to be, you know, working so much physical labor, you know, keep educating your brain. And my mom, every time I ask her questions, she goes, well, I don't know, go look it up. So that yeah. was back in the Britannica encyclopedia days. Now we have Wikipedia, but right. the more you learn to look things up and learn, constantly learn every day you're learning. But look at how much that stuck out to you and that stuck with you. Those two right? life lessons have been very valuable to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you try to do that with your kids too. My daddy also say, lift books, not weights. And so it was sort of funny. So for years... I used to try to read instead of working out. But then as I got into bodybuilding a few years ago, I lost 25 pounds. Again, I go through these cycles. I hired a yeah. professional bodybuilding coach. I trained every day for about 20 weeks and it was phenomenal. I lost weight, got very lean. But I kept saying, am, am I forgoing my dad's advice where I'm spending too much time in the gym? Mm -hmm. But I found really dedicated individuals. I worked out eight to 10 o'clock, four nights a week at a local gym here in Tyson's. And to see the other folks so dedicated, it becomes self-fulfilling because I didn't yeah. want to miss my workout. And even though we didn't talk to the other lifters or, you know, the other folks who were lifting that day, you sort of had a certain ecosystem. You expected certain people to be on certain pieces of equipment and it became very uh, motivating that you didn't want to miss your workout because you, you felt like in a sense you were letting them down and they were there every time. If they can be there on Thursday night or a Friday night yeah. at 10 o'clock lifting, you can be there too. So it was good advice. We always try to find the right balance. So yeah, you surround yourself with a community of people that are are doing the same things you're doing or striving for the same things or being successful at doing the things you want to be doing. Absolutely. You'll eventually get some of those things, or at least that's the advice I've been given, right? Like, you know, it's, it's great advice. Keep a, keep a small circle, but people that are striving and if, you know, if they have, if they have what you want then do what they do, right? If he has the body style that right. I want or the career that I want or right. the family life that I want, then I should be practicing some of the things that he's practicing. Put the basic fundamentals whatever. in place. No, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be forever. You can pivot. So this year you might want to do a biking race. All right. Next year you might want to do a marathon. Next year you might want to do something with a dirt bike, you know, mountain bike yeah. or something in between. So nothing's forever. Um, but have know what you want to do next, right? Yeah. Set a goal and then say there's some things I want to do, but I know I'm not going to get them done by June. So I'm saying, okay, by the end of the year I want to get it done. I want to do this race or I want to do that race. But what I find is when you set a goal and you backwards plan from it, it tends to happen. If you don't set a goal, Let's say finance. I want to save $1,200 this year and I got 12 months to do it. Well, if I save $100 a month, I'm going to stay on schedule. Well, if I don't set a goal and I just eh, put a few, you're not going to get to that 1200 mm -hmm. But if you put a point, a pin in the sand and backwards plan for it, you know what? It might be higher. It might be lower. Do you write them down? Do you journal? Do you, these I goals? Don't, like I don't journal, but I do write them down. So, um. Where do you write them? You have like a book or something? There's somebody like a Word, Microsoft Word, and I save yeah. a document that says James's third quarter personal goals. And Is I have that going to be things. a book coming out soon? That, no, you know, like no, the memoirs? Of no, it's too embarrassing. But again, no. it's small, slow. I got a few half marathons I put on my schedule. I think Steve uh, scheduled them for me. I got one in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, one in Oregon. And I think one in Florida on my schedule now. But you're not so. just doing a goal. You're doing an action plan to get you to the goal. That's exactly right. it sounds right. like so they're I write, small bites. I write the goal, small bites, because I know what I want to do in 2022. So these are build-up events yeah. and I backwards plan. And so, but I have fun doing it because I get to travel. I fly out usually Thursday night. I'll take Friday leave. I'll run the event on Saturday or Sunday and then I take the red eye back. And it's just a yeah. great way to spend three days, a long weekend. Yeah. Well, so like, it's easy to, know, I mean, I can just get so much passion from you, right? And, and so much energy and I love it. And I really, I really appreciate being able to just know you. Um, and it's, it, you're it's too kind. No, I'm Way serious. I'm serious. You know, you got We're great just shoulders. Like-minded individuals. Guy. We just like doing stuff. In other words, if you like doing things, if you're a doer, right, you, you enjoy life. I, I was with this one person recently and I said, well, what have you been doing the last nine months? Well, there's nothing to do. Oh, that's I great. said, what do you mean you're not? Said, well, COVID had nothing to do. I said, well, I've been to like 19 states. I've been to the Super Bowl. I've been a, I said, what? 
So yeah, there's 20,000 people went to the Super Bowl. They had a Super Bowl this year. It was in Tampa. And they look at you like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah. oh, you just got to be careful. We've had our PenFed Gala. We've had a huge gala in October. We had our golf tournament. We have our board meetings in person. We had our three board offsites in 2020. And people are looking at me and I have board members who are 70, 80 years old. We socially distanced. We kept our hands clean, but we live life. Risk mitigation versus risk avoidance, right? So when you're a kid, you don't walk across the street by yourself, right? And get hit by a car. So when you're very young, your mom or dad holds your hand when you cross the street, but you still cross the street. PenFed, we had our, our employees came to our branches since March 19th of last year. They serve our members in our branches. Our senior executives came to our headquarters. Our board came to meetings. So when I meet people and they say, well, we've been locked up for a year. We haven't gone out. To, I had a lunch today with somebody where we had lunch over a founding farmer and they haven't had an outdoor meal in like nine months. I'm like, you're kidding me. Yeah. Why? And this was a young person and the television had them terrified. Yeah. And it, it scared me. But I want everybody to be safe. Don't get me wrong. No, I never I hear put you. my lifestyle on anybody else. Keep your hand. I'm keeping my hands clean. I got my vaccination tomorrow. So I, I am going to get my shot. Uh, but that's never bothered me because I still had a mission to accomplish. I kept my distance from my employees. We had our meetings, but we stayed six or 12, I use them, you know me, 12 yeah. feet apart. I would say government's always wrong. So yeah. six probably can't be right. Probably 12. I'm a private sector guy. Uh, <laughs> but I've lived my life and I feel good. I, mean, I almost feel guilty. I mean, we, we had a great year. I no, honest all my 3,000 employees and we've taken perfect care of our 2.2 million members. Yeah, you found the opportunity. You just have, it sounds like you've, you've developed over time this mindset of finding the opportunity, finding finding the reason to say yes. Got to be hungry no. every yeah. day. You can never get complacent. We're having a really good first quarter. do you think you chipped quarter. away at that though? Like that mindset? Because it's, I mean. I don't know. I think everybody has that mindset. It's like yeah. came in the other day on my executive team. We're having a record first quarter. I said, we're going to ride this rocket, but we can't get complacent. What's the plan for the next quarter? What basic building blocks? What do we divest? What do we stop doing that's wasting our time? How do we have less meetings? And how do we focus on more with what matters? So yeah. one or two KPIs, we got some things we have like gazillion KPIs. Like I only want two. What are the two that really drive this area? Why do I need six? Get me two. Yeah. I get to one even better, right? Right. So it's um, fun. It's fun. I love running PenFed. I love the employees. I love giving back to the community. But I think yeah. as a CEO- Hiring people has been my greatest accomplishment. When you hire good people, you give them livelihood, let them put their kids through school, buy their car, go on vacations. Jobs in America create safe communities. And I love this Tyson's area. It is an amazing community. I mean, it, yeah. Well, you know what I was getting at, right? I mean, I, you know, I definitely, it, it, do you have, was there ever a time where you felt like maybe you didn't know what was going on or like some vulnerability, some fear, a jumping off point, as I like to call it, right? Where you just, you didn't know what to do next, but you knew you couldn't keep doing what you were doing. And that could be personal. It could be professional. I mean, you know. I just must not be smart enough. See, I live in the moment. Um, it might've been a bad habit from my West Point days. I always felt stressed. Like when I planned something three weeks out, because then the, the, something would change. You get an exam. Uh, you, you don't get your liberty pass. Your leave approved. And so I've always been much more spontaneous. But as a business leader, I have to really force myself to plan and discipline myself. So I've gotten better over the mm -hmm. years. But I'm more spontaneous, which allows me to pivot as a firm. So I don't take anything for granted. What we're doing today that's allowing us to be successful might not be the same on April 1st, what we need to pivot to. So if mm. you're willing to change. So I think the leader, the lesson I learned from that is being afraid of uh, letdown. It's allowed me to be willing to change quickly, mm. if that makes sense. So you're responding to that vulnerability with, with, with acceptance and realizing with, the pivot. You got it. And so we've made a very deliberate effort over the last 24 months to pivot to more overnight money, 
uh, to pivot to more mortgages and we really hire the right people. So you got to put the structure in place to get to where that pivot is, but being willing to change. Don't feel like I, I, I go to the same restaurant, right? Well, no, try something else. And if you don't mm. like it, try something else the next meal. There's yeah. three meals a day, right? So if you don't like that meal, try something different. But now you've got the experience of three separate restaurants. Exactly. And then what you like better, try to do more of what you like more of and less of what you don't mm. like. And so I think the experience of being afraid of failure, of being let down, has allowed me to be willing to embrace change more. Isn't that, it sort of sounds strange. Yeah. But I've always hated planning something with the fear of it was not going to happen. But now, if you don't plan a vacation, it's never going to happen. So it's forced me to plan. But then if it didn't come to fruition, weather was bad. I was supposed to fly tonight to Norfolk to have dinner with a friend. Weather's terrible out there. And I can get there, but I have a dog at home. I can't get back. I can't go. So I canceled tonight. But in my mind, I was let down. But I just pushed it off a week. So by changing that time constraint, yeah. it let that stress go away from me. And you weren't hard on the time frame that it must happen tonight or else I'm bad. That's or it's it's never going to happen. That's correct. I felt bad having to decline and let this individual know I very much respect. But I'm like, but he respected that. If you look outside here, the weather's yeah. terrible. That and I said I could have stayed overnight there, but I have my dog. I'm by myself. I needed to make sure I get home. So, but he respected that. You let him know early enough. You communicate, and then we just push it off a week. So even though it's disappointed. I can immediately compartmentalize the disappointment, move forward, looking to the next trip. Yeah. And it, so do you take that same mindset when you're like a new initiative with PenFed or something that Abs you're presenting to the absolutely. board? Absolutely. So we just built a high yield savings account product, $4 billion in 18 months. It's amazing. Uh, we didn't know it was going to take two years or one year to get there. It was right about where we want it to be, but I didn't put a hard timeline on it. As they say, you build it, it'll come if you build it right. And it came. Um, but I don't try to force... Um, Super hard. I'm, I'm a willing to accept failure with my employees and I don't get bent out of shape, if that makes sense. Because if they fail or come up short, um, they want to do even better the next time. And it creates that learning experience. If you're not failing, you're not learning. I love the story with, um, um, it's it, uh, not Jeff Bezos, the uh, Elon Musk uh, rocket company, SpaceX. Yeah. They, well, one blew they, up, right? They've blown up, not one. I think it was Couple. like nine or 12. Oh, I didn't realize. That. Oh, yeah. Google it. I mean, it is unbelievable. So he had a lot Aren't of- are these expensive? Oh, oh, yeah. A lot. I'd say it's at least 12. Uh, yeah. So he's had a lot of explosions. But in order to get to where he was, you got to be willing to accept failure within your institution. Yeah. If you stop accepting failure, you create this zero tolerance or failure culture. People are afraid to mm. take any risk. So I tend to be a much higher risk taker. So I hire a CFO, I hire a general counsel, I hire others who are much more conservative and reserved. And you create that yin yang, right? So you want right. to run hard, but you have to have the right governors, the right structure, the right risk mitigation processes, first line, second line in place so you can run fast. And sometimes you have to go slow in order to go really fast. So you put all the buffers and all the guidelines and all the, um, the risk mitigation tools in place, and then you can really step on the gas. It's sort of like building a, a sports car, right? You got to have really good brakes. You got to have really good steering. But once you build that infrastructure, you can really go. Yeah. As opposed to you got a car that's really not built too well and you go too fast and the wheels come off. Yeah. I mean, that's like a motto of yours, um, risk mitigation, not risk avoidance. That's Does, definitely a motto that right? and hammer down. Yeah. There's no other model. There's no time to, we got to be moving. Hammer if you're down. not growing, you're dying. Yeah. We need a title for this episode. What are you thinking? Live from PenFed headquarters <laughs> with Philip. <laughs> Great to see you today. Yeah. No, I'm really and happy. And for all the listeners this. that listen to your podcast, thanks for being out there. Thanks for what you're doing. My only advice is go live live. Don't live it through a TV. You could be anything and everything you want to be. Just go out and do it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks, Philip. 
Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.